the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. And that's how you and I have to face the future. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever in terms of his nature. In terms of his character, in terms of his attributes, God's past performances provided a solid basis for Habakkuk to trust God's to act in the future in a similar way. If he's Savior in the past, he'll be Savior in the future. If he's Deliverer in the past, he'll be Deliverer in the future. That's, that's his point. If you've ever read an investment prospectus, you've almost certainly encountered the statement, past performance is not an indication of future performance. But God's past is a great picture of his future. Unlike the economy, God never changes. And when we lose our job or our health, when relationships fail, it's a great help to remind ourselves that God has always been and always will be a deliverer. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher, and our subject is A Profile of a Struggling Prophet. The prophet's name is Habakkuk, and he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah just before the Babylonian captivity. God revealed to Habakkuk his plan to punish his people for their disobedience. Habakkuk was understandably shocked by the severity of the punishment, but he was still able to rejoice. Let's turn to Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2, and see how Habakkuk's dismay turned into delight. Here is Pastor Steve. The first thing that Habakkuk did was pray. He prayed. He he made a request to God, and he admitted that he was afraid in his prayer. He said, Lord, I'm scared. Afraid when God revealed his plan to him. When he realized that the sovereign God was in his holy temple and he was in absolute control, the world was under his his feet, his control. Habakkuk honestly admitted that he stood in reverence and he stood in awe of this holy, omnipotent God. In other words, the thought of God uh, being God almighty, he said, brings fear to my heart. It was a high and lofty view of God that brought him to a place where he prayed with fear in his heart. He said this, and this is his request. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. Let's stop there for a moment. You know what he's saying? You know what he's really saying? Lord, if it's your will to bring the Babylonians upon us, it'll be difficult, but I accept it. That's an incredible statement. Lord, I know what it means, and I'm not looking forward to it, but I accept it. I submit to your will. Habakkuk is asking God to revive his work in Israel. Now, when we hear revive, we we think of the term revival. And sadly to say that uh, the term revival is not used properly in our day and age. 
If you see on the outside of a church revival, what they should put there is evangelistic meetings. Revival is not evangelism. Evangelism is the winning of the loss to Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation of the gospel. So that people don't get revived, they get life the first time. Revive means to relive. It means to commit yourself again to Christ. Evangelism is the winning of the lost and the witnessing to the lost to hopefully bring them to faith in Christ. Revival really means to commit yourself as a believer, to to rededicate yourself. But when we hear the term revival today, uh, you've got to disassociate it from what, what the Hebrew here means by revive, because the Hebrew word revive has absolutely nothing to do with our modern day concept of evangelism or revivals. The Hebrew word means literally to live, to preserve, to keep alive, keep it going, keep it moving. That's the thought. Habakkuk's prayers that God would keep alive the work of judgment that he planned for Israel. Lord, do it. What you started out to do by raising up the Babylonians, just complete it. That's the thought here. Revive it. Keep it going. Preserve it. Now, this is a complete turnabout. This is incredible. At the start of the book, he's got a problem with God's ways of punishing Israel. Now he's saying, Lord, do it. Finish the course. Run the marathon. Finish it. He's asking God to keep his work of judgment alive and to finish it. What you completed, Lord, what you started, rather, I want you to complete. What a complete change. Why the change of attitude? Because for the first time in Habakkuk's struggle over this, he's got his eyes off of his nation. He's got his eyes off of the Babylonians. He's got his eyes off of himself. And his only concern is for God's will to be accomplished. That's the only this is the first time that this really grips his heart. When Habakkuk stopped looking at the problems around him and started looking at the sovereign God above him, he had a change of heart. That's why he can say this. In other words, he's had a vision of of the God of glory in his temple. And the only thing that matters now is that this God be glorified by his will being done. That's all that counts. In spite of the fact that he knew that women and children would be killed, the nation would be devastated. He says, Lord, revive your work, continue it. It's difficult, but I accept it. You want to rejoice when tears are in your eyes, then you've got to get those tear-stained eyes off of your problems and on to looking at the Lord. This is simple. This is basic. But we need to be reminded of this. This isn't anything new. This isn't astounding. This isn't that deep. But it's biblical. And we need to be reminded of it. Like Habakkuk, we get into all kinds of trouble, troubles when we focus on our suffering. And you know what? When we focus on the people who have caused our suffering, it's not just our suffering. But why did he do this? Why did she do this? And we have all kinds of problems with that. A person who rejoices has only one primary concern, not deliverance from suffering. They may like that. They may want that. But that's not their primary concern. Uh, Not for judgment to strike those who cause them suffering. As we so often want. But only that God's work continues. It's an attitude of complete submission to the will of God now. Habakkuk said, Lord, I have a problem. Answer me. God answered. Habakkuk said, I don't know what it all entails in the future. I know it's devastating, but I submit right now. I submit right now. Submission to the will of God, regardless of how difficult it is for you. God, continue your work. That's all that matters. Now, is that your attitude? If you want to rejoice when tears are in your, are in your eyes, it needs to be. Do you care about God's glory above your own comforts? Most people are into creature comforts. 
That's our that's our society. Creature comforts. It's not wrong having creature comforts, but it's wrong to be preoccupied with that. It's wrong when that becomes uh, more important than God's will being done. Habakkuk said, I put creature comforts aside. God, your will be done. That's all that really counts. See, that's the issue here. Do you care so much about God's glory that you could say, Lord, do whatever you have to do? It's all right with me. You give me the grace for it, but do it. In spite of what Habakkuk knew would happen when the Babylonians came, he came, he said, God, keep it up. Accomplish your work in Israel. Some people want to know God's will, but when God reveals their will, they don't want to do it. Not Habakkuk. But that's not all the prophet prayed. Look at the last phrase in in verse two. He says this in wrath. Remember mercy. That's really all throughout the book of Revelation. That concept in the midst of wrath, Lord. While you're judging your people, please remember to be merciful to temper your wrath with mercy. God does that and will do that during the tribulation period as people are saved. And God did it here. Historically, we look back. Habakkuk didn't know this, but historically now we can look back and say God did uh, temper his wrath with mercy. Babylonian, the Babylonians did sweep in. Judah was carried off to Babylon. Temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was devastated. All you have to do is read Jeremiah and then and then especially Lamentations. Judah was carried off to Babylon, but a remnant survived. They did not all die. A remnant survived. And in 70 years, Babylon was no longer in power. Persia was the leading empire and the king of Persia sent the Jewish people back. If they wanted to go back to their land, they did return to the land of Israel. God was merciful in wrath. Remember mercy. But Habakkuk, I want you to know, he's still focusing on God. He's still submissive to God's will. He still has his eyes on God's glory and, and he's submitting to that glory. He just wants God to display the attributes of both his wrath and his mercy. God, judge. God, be merciful. But you see, he's still consumed with God. So the first step to rejoicing when your eyes are filled with tears is to submit to God's will in the presence. God speaks, we submit. If you don't do that, you'll never go on to the second step. And the second step is remember God's work in the past. Submit to God's will in the present, but remember God's work in the past. That's very important. You see, when from a human vantage point, there is nothing to rejoice about, the thing that you have to do is to remember how God has worked in the past. That's what Habakkuk did. In verses 3 through 15, the prophet thinks back. He reminisces in his mind uh, Jewish biblical history. It's like he's, he's teaching a course on the history of Israel and how God intervened in power and demonstrated his strength on Israel's behalf. It's a poetic description of God's deliverance for, of, of his people, past deliverance of Israel. Now, I don't want to go into all the details of these verses because... I want you to get the point. Sometimes we can get lost in the trees and miss the forest. I want you to see the forest here. So look at verses three through five. God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hands and there, and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. 
Remember, it's a poetic description. God's display of power in delivering Israel was mightily manifested when he delivered the nation from Egypt and brought her to Mount Sinai, where he made a covenant with the nation. That's what he's describing here. God's initial deliverance of the people as they were down in Egypt. He delivered them. That's all about the Passover and Exodus. And he brought them out and he brought them to a place in the wilderness called Mount Sinai. And he made a covenant with them there. And the names Timon and Mount Paran simply refer to places in that region where God made his covenant with Israel. And when he did that, his glory covered the sky and the people praised him and the people were amazed. His glory was like the sunlight as its, its rays are, emanate, are emitted in all directions. His power was manifested in pestilence, his power in the plagues of Egypt. And that's really what the prophet is saying. God has been wonderful to us. And in the past, he delivered us by his mighty hand. That's his point. Verses six through 15. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan under distress. The ten curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was thine anger against the rivers? Or was thy wrath against the sea? And thou didst ride on thy horses, on thy chariots of salvation. Thy bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn, were sworn that is cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and quaked. The downpour of waters swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of thine arrows, at the radiance of thy gleaming spear. In indignation, thou didst march through the earth. In, thine, in anger, thou didst trample the nations. Thou didst go forth for the salvation of thy people, for the salvation of thine anointed. Thou didst strike the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Thou didst pierce through his own spears the head of, of its the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. Thou didst tread on the sea with thy horses on the surge of many waters. By the way interspersed in there three times you'll see the the Hebrew word Selah three times you'll see it actually in verse three and then at the end of verse nine or the middle of verse nine and then at the uh, the end of verse 13 Selah we're not actually sure what that meant uh, some believe it was and this is probably the correct explanation that it was a pause to think on these things it, it most likely was connected with music as they worship the Lord through singing uh, hymns and singing the Psalms. So it probably means let's pause. Think on these. This is important. Well, what is what are these verses saying? Well, at God's gaze, nations are destroyed. They're distressed. They tremble at the gaze of Jehovah. In verse eight, he says, God uh, is God angry. Is God angry. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Is, is God angry with nature? No. His anger is against the nations that oppress Israel, but nature feels his power. Nature is affected by it. That's, that's what he's saying. In verse 9, he says, as a warrior draws his bow, he, he's defended his people. He's like a warrior, and he's got that bow just, just ready to strike. In verse 11, it's a reference to a long day. Sun and moon stood in their places, most likely he's referring to the time of Joshua. When Joshua requested more light during the daytime in order to defeat the Canaanites and God performed a miracle to deliver Israel. 
God worked on the nation's behalf. In verses 13 through 15, he speaks of the leaders who were defeated and then their followers. God strikes at the heads and then he deals with the rest of those nations. Now, what's the point? What's the point of all? And this is a long section and we could get lost in this section. But what's the point? What is the forest here? What's the main message? Why is Habakkuk remembering God's acts of deliverance towards Israel in the past? I mean, isn't it true what's past is past? Well, no, it's not true. In a sense, it is, but it's not true that what's past is past and we we don't uh, have anything to do with it anymore. No. You see, if God, and here's the prophet's thinking, and this is wonderful, if, if God acted this way in the past, powerfully, triumphantly, victoriously, and all of that, then in light of Babylon's coming invasion, Habakkuk can trust God to work it out in the future. If God was so mighty in the past... That's the foundation for believing he'll be mighty in the future. That's how Habakkuk faces the future. And that's how you and I have to face the future. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In terms of his nature, in terms of his character, in terms of his attributes. God's past performances provided a solid basis for Habakkuk to trust God's to act in the future in a similar way. If he's savior in the past, he'll be savior in the future. If he's delivered in the past, he'll be delivered in the future. That's, that's his point. And this is a very common exercise for biblical writers to do. Biblical writers did this. David, you recall when David was, was, had his back up against the wall and Saul was chasing after him? David would start out a psalm by saying something like this. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, everybody's against me. My enemies have turned on me. And then he begins to recount. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But... You're the God who brought us out of Egypt. You're the God who raised up Moses. You're the God who parted the Red Sea. I don't have any problems anymore. I forgot. Oh, yeah, you can handle Saul. By the time he's finished with his psalm, he's rejoicing. Why? Because he's remembered who God is and how he's worked in the past. Turn your Bibles back in the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah was another prophet with a problem. Jeremiah lived about the same time as Habakkuk, and he struggled with the same thing. The Babylonians were going to come in. Israel, Judah was going to be devastated. And uh, but God revealed to, to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to restore the nation. I'm going to bring the nation back from Babylon. Jeremiah actually had more revealed to him than Habakkuk. And I'm going to bring Judah back into her land. In fact, God even told him after 70 years, he even told him when, because Daniel the prophet later on read that while he was in Babylon. They knew when they would come back. And in chapter 32, verse 17, let's just read that for a little while and you'll understand. Jeremiah doesn't, doesn't know how God's going to do this. He can't reconcile in his mind how devastation is going to come. And it is. It's, they're breaking down the doors right now. And yet, God, you're going to restore us. He doesn't understand that, how it's going to work out. He says, verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing's too difficult for thee. What's he doing? He's saying, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with God's, how God's going to pull this whole thing off. But wait a minute. You're the God who made the heavens and the earth. I don't have a problem. Verse 18, 
And he goes on, who showest loving kindness to thousands, but repayest the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the, so- of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his seed. He's just rehearsing the way God is who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind. And thou hast made a name for thyself as, uh, at, uh, as at this day. And thou dost bring thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with the strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror, and gavest them this land which thou didst swear to their forefathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's just rehearsing. God, this is what you've done. This is the way you are. And they came in and they took possession of it, but they did not obey thy voice or walk in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore, thou hast made all this calamity come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have reached the city to take it. I mean, right now he's saying they're breaking down the wall. And the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword, the famine and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken has come to pass. And behold, thou seest, you see it, Lord. And thou hast said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. God said, Jeremiah, buy some lands. Jeremiah said, why do I need this real estate when everything's going to be devastated? It's God's God's sign to him. And it's to be a sign to Israel. You're coming back to this land. Buy it. I mean, property was real cheap at that point. Buy it. Nobody else wants it. And it was a sign that that Jeremiah believed God that the people are coming back 70 years later. But Jeremiah doesn't understand how God's going to pull this off. And God, he's just rehearsing. Lord, but I know you're great. I know you're wonderful. Then verse 16, verse 26, rather, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The answer is no. And in chapter 33, verse 3, I love this verse, and you must understand the context. The context is Jeremiah saying, I don't understand. And God says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah said, I don't know. God said, I understand you don't know. Call unto me and I'll explain it to you. But it's in light of the fact that Jeremiah does just what Habakkuk did. He rehearses the past uh, of Israel's history. He says... In our terminology, why sweat when God has done this in the past? Marvelous truth. The prophet Samuel set an example for us when, after a great victory, he raised up a stone to commemorate what God had done for them. In chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, he called it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. It may not be healthy to live in the past, but it is downright miserable to forget it. It was a pleasure to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse-by-Verse Ministries and enabled by God's grace and by the gifts and prayers of our listeners. Here's Pastor Steve to explain how you can help. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. It's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you hear on Verse by Verse. If you've been blessed through Verse by Verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. 
you can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Steve. We have more information on our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have today's lesson and hundreds of others you can listen to or download. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Today's lesson was the middle of a three-part message. Sometimes it helps to hear a message all in one sitting. If you'd like to do that, you can call us at 727-239-0306 and order a cassette or an audio CD. Once again, that number is 727-239-0306. The American painter John Sargent once painted a panel of roses that was highly praised by critics. It was a small picture, but it approached perfection. Although offered a high price for it on many occasions, Sargent refused to sell it. He considered it his best work and was very proud of it. Whenever he was deeply discouraged and doubtful of his abilities as an artist, he would look at it and remind himself, I painted that. Then his confidence and ability would come back to him. When we lose confidence in God, we can look back at the great things He has done in our lives and the lives of others, and our confidence in Him will brighten our view of not only the present, but the future as well. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this study on the struggles of a... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.